everybody, and after 21 long months, we're back up. This is Michael Russell. I'm here with... The person formerly known as Gary the Foodie. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and uh, Gary lives. Michael lives. Uh, the last time we talked, we were discussing whether masks were effective against a new virus coming out of uh, China, uh, where you had just been to Hong Kong. And Seoul. And I think the last time we recorded, I had just gotten back from Milan. And Milan, about a week after I left, became one of the hottest spots in the world for COVID. You were riding a wave of uh, just right in front of where the hot spots were. Yeah. Uh, You were riding that 100-foot wave. I don't know if you've seen that documentary. But we are back. We are alive. And... uh, you know, we're, we're going to do a podcast here just to catch you up on where we've been and what we've been up to. Gary's been up to a lot. I've been up to a little. Uh, and also, we'll talk about Gary's retirement a little bit. Um, Gary the foodie is retired. With me today is... Uh, I may have to unretire for a week or two in order to promote this podcast because otherwise, it's just going to be Michael and myself who will be listening to this podcast <laughs> well that wouldn't be so new i don't think yeah that's right <laughs> um so yes you were back from a lot of travel uh, we were just uh, unbeknownst to us headed into a three-month lockdown uh of restaurants here in oregon and really across the country and uh for me that really meant uh, like an upheaval of the way i lived my life um I didn't really go out to eat very much at all in the back uh, nine of uh, 2020. You did uh, go out to uh, travel a bit. You sort of resumed your life a little bit. So we're here to talk about that and uh, then talk a little bit about what it's been like for me getting back in the saddle and working on our our, uh, our Portland restaurant guide that just came out. I do have a question because... Everything shut down March of 2020. What what was your job like? I mean, I don't know exactly because you didn't. There weren't what there wasn't a lot published then, correct? Well, certainly not a lot of restaurant criticism. Right. I mean, I was racing around and writing features about you know. I'm just trying to put myself back in that time, but um, you know, I remember writing an article about. What did restaurants do with all the food that they had to throw away? So, you know, I went around and talked to, um, you know, dozens of restaurants and they told me, okay, yeah, we had, you know, 4,000 eggs. This was a, 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 like Nikki USA had 4,000 eggs or something like that. Some ridiculous number of eggs that they had to find a way to get rid of before they went bad. And, you know, that just went on all across the city. Uh, a lot of people went and donated food to shelters or, um, you know, soup kitchens and um, I was writing those kinds of features for several weeks and also kind of focusing on, okay, what big restaurants are, are not reopening on the other side of this? I mean, one of the first ones is not maybe the most notable of all Portland's restaurant closures, but um, talking with uh, Anna, the GM at Irving Street Kitchen, and she tells me, oh, yeah, we donated our, our, uh, our, our, our food to, um, I think, Stone Soup in the Pearl. And we also donated all of our, um, you know, uh, kitchen equipment to Stone Soup. And I was like, wait a second, like you donated all of your kitchen equipment? Like, what does that mean? And then, of course, obviously, Irving Street Kitchen was no more, did not return. Probably wasn't going to make it much longer, even if the pandemic didn't happen. And um, the chef at Irving Street and Anna ended up opening a, a Italian market and restaurant called um, Cooperativa. But, um, you know, that was a lot of my life for several months was tracking down closures, how are restaurants faring, and then we had the reopening and the closing. So we were kind of just chasing around these uh, uh, feature stories about how that was happening. Um, And for me, I, for many years, I hadn't even been to my local grocery store because I was always on the road traveling somewhere. And I would go to the grocery store literally every day because my cupboards were absolutely bare. And I just started, I didn't know what was going to go on with COVID in the future. I just knew in March, I didn't, I had a bare kitchen, bare cupboards. And I would go out to the grocery store three times a day and just buy soups. I'd order things from Amazon. I ordered like these tinned mackerel, tinned sardines. And I still have hundreds of cans of that. 
And I just, it, I, I still have soups and chili. I'm going to start, I mean, I'll have chili tomorrow. Um, Nellie's. Um, so just a lot of that. I ordered a lot of takeout, and I'm sure you did too, and delivery. And yeah, it was crazy. And it was, how, how long did that last for you? That sort of like, ho- you know, hoarding, uh, not hoarding, but you yeah, know, it, was hoarding. Down, it was hoarding. eating chili uh, straight out of the can with a spoon, presumably the f- around a, a fire. Like six weeks. Then I started doing a lot of delivery because oh, yeah. you found Gold Belly. Yeah, I did find I, Yeah, I was ordering a lot of stuff from Gold, Be- Gold Belly. The lemon chicken that uh, Sweet Lou Williams got kicked out of the bubble for from magic city that's named after him or stuff from Katz's delicatessen we're talking about lemon pepper chicken wings yeah that lou williams claims was the reason he was kicked out of the bubble although to be clear they were served at a strip club if i'm not mistaken magic yeah magic city i ordered (laughs) some you were from go belly it was terrible and like one of the best things i had (laughs) during the pandemic was from gold belly and it was uh, grand central it, it was it's the it's the um, mufalada from New Orleans Ooh. from and it was gosh I didn't I think it was Grand Central Market or something to that effect. Okay, I, mean, I ordered it twice. It was so good. And this I, is amazing. So you literally ordered a sandwich delivered to your house from across the country. I think a lot God, of people so might not even be aware that you can do this. Yeah, and can I, I can I ask you like um, I I would assume a muffaletta if you're in New Orleans, even a fancy place. Might cost you fourteen, sixteen at the very uh, high end. Yeah. How much does it cost with the with the over a hundred? Over a hundred dollars yeah, for a sandwich. Yeah, and but it was two discs. Discs. It took. It. it oh, it was two whole like the yeah. the yeah they slice it in triangles. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this so so lasts a long took, time, and I would heat them up. The key is to heat them up, and they were fantastic. Interesting. And I actually went to New Orleans. How hot are we talking? Like melt the cheese hot? Yeah, or? melt the cheese hot. Okay. And so I ended up going to New Orleans in the middle of a pandemic in, <laughs> in October of 2020. I also went to Chicago in October of 2020, Nashville in August of 2020, and L.A. in 2000, August of 2020. So I, I ended up traveling in the middle of a pandemic. So basically, as soon as case counts started falling in the U.S. and around July of 2020, you started traveling again? Yeah, and I almost didn't get on the plane on my first trip to Nashville, which my first trip was to Nashville, and I got to the airport. Airport was empty, and I I said to myself, I got I'm gonna walk away. I just can't get on the plane. I'm gonna walk away. I can't get on the plane. But I said, you're, you're here. Just get on the plane. So I got on the plane, and it was fantastic. Yeah, well, I loved. I mean, after that first flight, it took me two flights to get to Nashville. But mother of God, I had a great time in Nashville. I said, ah, this is this isn't so bad. This is actually kind of good. So you're back on the horse. Back on the, well, not to, I mean, not really back on the horse because I didn't leave the country, which is what I wanted to do, and which I wish I still have not done. Milan was my last international trip. I canceled many international trips in 2021. But Nashville was like famous during COVID times because they had this like Kid Rock honky tonk and steakhouse that everyone seems to end up at when they visit Nashville and. They were hosting parties with thousands of people when uh, I didn't know know, that when their lockdowns were still in place here in Oregon. I did see that there are these party buses with (laughs) people drinking on the party buses, and I watched them go by my hotel. I've always wanted to do one of those where where the ambulance follows you with an (laughs) IV bag in case you get dehydrated. This is what they do in Hollywood. You've heard of this? No. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Nashville was good. What, What would you say were some of the big trips that you've had to cancel in the past uh, almost two years oh god i mean i was supposed to go to barcelona on march 3rd through the 11th of 2020 i thought should i go should i know this is literally after our last podcast that we recorded oh. i think i think I, I think i can go but i was supposed to go to paris for my birthday at the end of march i think well you know what i'll cancel this barcelona trip because i think i can go to paris in the end of march and obviously, I probably could have gone into Barcelona and gotten out okay, but Paris got canceled because everything shut down by then. And I thought, oh, I'll go to New York for my birthday in March. I thought, oh my God, I can finally go to Carbone. Carbone, I got a reservation to Carbone at the end of March. It was easy. Then all these restaurants started calling me up, like, you know, a week before I was supposed to leave on my trip. I said, Gary, we're closing down. Restaurants are, we're just we're shutting down. Sorry, we had to cancel your res- reservation. I said, holy sh- crap. 
holy shnikes. This well, is, this made it a bit easier to cancel the trip if there's no restaurants on the other end. Right. And I've, I and I started canceling trips. I don't, know, I don't know how many trips I've canceled since the pandemic began. 20, 30. I was supposed to be in Singapore this week. But um, I canceled that months ago. I was supposed to be in Paris in October and London in August. I probably could have gone. I, not I probably could have. I, I could have gone to some of those trips. But I just got, you know... Uh, I just got a little. I just didn't want to be stuck in a foreign country. That makes sense. And so I can't, you know, I canceled my international trips, and I, I, that, that used to be my lifeblood. You and me have seen each other a little bit. Yeah, it's just that we haven't been doing the podcast. But I remember I saw you. We went to um, Bit House Collective, uh, which is a newer cocktail bar. Uh, that at the time the food was being run by Carlo La Magna from the restaurant Magna Cucina here in Portland. And I, you had just had your first shot, so there was kind of a light at the end of the tunnel there. Um, and of course, we've both since gotten uh, our two shots yeah. and boosters. Right. Um, so I, I got my booster last Friday, um, which is exciting for me. So you know, I think I want to want us to talk a little bit this week about what it's been like for us eating out and. The caveat for me is that I barely ate out at all. Um, you know, as you know, I've got two young kids uh, here and uh, uh, in Portland. And so going out wasn't always easy, even in the best of times. And then when you compound that with the idea of going out with uh, um, kids who cannot be vaccinated yet because they're both under five, it just didn't really make a lot of sense. So I, I, another thing I did eventually was wrote a lot about takeout, you know, did takeout reviews did roundups of restaurants that were doing interesting pivots. Uh, eventually in Portland, we had sort of an upheaval where uh, uh, anonymous um, service industry workers were calling out restaurants and we had major restaurant groups closing left and right. So uh, to answer your way original question, I feel like I've, I had like five different jobs in the first three months of the pandemic where I went from mostly reviewing, you know, what's the best muffaletta and Portland, I would say it's Sebastiano's in Montevilla, uh, uh, the, to, to, you know, writing about closures or almost becoming more of an investigative journalist where I'm talking to sources off the record and people are telling me about, you know, bad things that, um, that chefs and restaurant owners in Portland have done. And then I'm writing about them and then major groups like, uh, uh um, submarine, submarine hospitality, which is still open, but, uh, John Gorham, John Gorham from Toro Bravo Inc., you know, that was a restaurant group that 12 restaurants went under. Some of them are still open under a new group. Uh, Pock Pock uh, closed us. You know, maybe it was time for them to go. That was another major restaurant group. But I don't think that had anything to do with Pock Pock. I don't think it had anything to do with the, the climate in Portland. Yeah, the, the reckoning. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with the reckoning. I, th- I thought I, I don't think that they were like I never saw them directly being called out. But I think the changes are afoot in Portland. And I think if you gave Andy Ricker truth serum you don't think he would have said i think he would have closed regardless. he would have yeah, closed okay. regardless of the pandemic or the reckoning yeah I, I just think it was time i mean he'd had a good run had a good run a lot of like his la restaurant closed his new york or his brooklyn restaurant closed i mean we've seen a lot of white chefs getting called out for cooking you know, for cultural appropriation so i mean he was kind of maybe grandfathered in because that conversation wasn't happening in 2004 when Pock Pock opened, but eventually that would circle around to Pock Pock. I mean, I, I'm guessing he could feel that coming, you know, I don't know. Well, we don't, I mean, who knows if, if the pandemic hadn't hit in March, 2020, the shutdown Pock Pock would still be open. No, I totally disagree. Huh. I think Pock Pock would be closed. I, I think Pock Pock would be, be closed regardless of the pandemic. He was or still the opening these Pock Pock wings all over the city. When was the last time he opened up a Pock Pock wing? I don't remember. Probably within the past, within two years before the pandemic. Right. Yeah. And pro- it may not have done very well. I don't know. They're all sushi places. I I'd heard, yeah, I heard rumors that he was going to close before the pandemic. Oh. Like, like I was hearing rumors in 2019, well, early 2000. Well, we're just speculating. Here, yeah. We're so speculating. we don't really know. But, you know, anyway, the bottom line is there were big restaurant groups closing. I was yeah. digging into that. I broke the news that Toro Bravo was closing and uh, that was kind of crazy. Those were crazy. <laughs> heady times. Um uh, I believe John Gorham's opening a restaurant in Bend now, a steakhouse. So uh, he's bouncing back. Um, what else? Uh, uh, so eventually I did get back on the saddle pretty recently, just this fall. And I went out and ate at nearly 100 restaurants yeah, in Portland. Boy. We've talked a lot about this. And 
you know, I feel like I'm more open and honest with you than, than, you know, when I'm writing a restaurant guide, I'm recommending places where people can go out to eat, where it's going to be awesome and delicious. And maybe they can even have a good time. But, but behind the scenes, me and you have talked a lot about, it's not always that great to eat out right now. Uh, obviously the pandemic is to blame for that as well. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of COVID restrictions, which, um, I'm on board with mask wearing vaccination, carrying my vaccine card, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a tough time. It's a tough time to be out there working. It's not always fun to go out to eat and, you know, pleasure and having fun are major aspects of why we go out to eat. Um, so, you know, my most cynical take is, uh, that it's not always fun to go out to eat right now. Um, now looking more optimistically, we're seeing a lot of new and interesting restaurants that aren't necessarily owned or run by white people, which is something we've longed for in Portland for a long time. It's been a blind spot here, but I'm curious about your take. You know, where are you in terms of that scale from like total cynicism, uh, new restaurants in Portland aren't fun and there's not a lot of food, great food being cooked here. And, you know, let's just wait a year and find out what the scene looks like. And then on the other side, Hey, there's a lot of promising new things sprouting up here and there that are worth uh, recognizing. What's been interesting since I started traveling again in a April. Oh, I traveled last summer in the middle of a pandemic. So last summer is in 2020, but I also started traveling again in April of 2021. I don't know how many trips I've been on 20. <clears throat> um, wow. And it's, it's, it's just different. I mean, LA is, I've said before on other podcasts and this podcast is the best restaurant city in America. There are other and podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, we invented the form and it's not even, it's not even close how good LA is. Right. I mean, it's just, I, the most interesting new restaurants I've seen are in Los Angeles. I've been to Philadelphia for the first time since I went to MBA school back in the late eighties. I love Philadelphia scene. I mean, it, it, everyone's struggling. I get that. I mean, we could talk, I don't know if we want to talk more about the uh, Restaurant Recovery Act, but I, I prefer not to. But I mean, rest, restaurants have been relatively resilient and I've enjoyed my trips outside of Portland. Uh, the LA, scenes, LA scene, food scene seems really vibrant. Um, I just don't eat out as much in Portland. Well, especially since I retired, I mostly live on Domino's and Panda Express and love that orange chicken. And um, I ordered $50 worth of Kentucky Fried Chicken four days ago. And I'm still eating it. And, you okay? Ooh, yeah, I, God, Kentucky Fried Chicken's great. Are you kidding me? But I won't, I won't be needing any Kentucky Fried Chicken anytime soon. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Oh, I, shit. I, I guess I got to get you a different Christmas present. <laughs> Michael's the one who's really, who who really understands the Portland dining scene. I mean, he really has covered it from top to bottom over the last you know few months. More than, I mean, on a scale of factor of ten or twenty compared to me. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just I, I don't think I feel that I don't, I'm not as I, I don't feel that cynicism, even in Portland. Um, I don't know why. Maybe because I don't know why. I don't. Maybe I don't go out as much. Maybe the places I go out, I'm, I'm more known, and they're going to treat me. They're going to put on a better face. I don't know. Well, they're happier to see you too. They, they may, may not be happy to see me right now. Yeah, but they don't I don't know my intentions or why I'm there. I mean, you know, even going to Magna, which is our uh, was our, our Oregonian's restaurant of the year this year. You know, it, I think I could I sense a bit of skepticism showing up there, uh, you know, especially when I ate there alone at the bar. But eventually that they warmed to me and, and that part of the reason that I named them our restaurant of the year was uh, not just this great modern Filipino food that Carlos serving. But, you know, there was a real sense of community that um, is going on there, which even if I'm an outsider to as a as a journalist and critic. I could still feel it and sense it. And it, that was, that was kind of special. Um, but it's, it's but hard. my, my yeah. cynical take, you know, I, I think Portland in terms of the new restaurants that are out there and the old ones as well is very, very justifiably extremely risk averse right now. I mean, you have 
the difficulties around staffing that I think we're all aware of that, uh, uh, you know, staffing the restaurant industry is particularly hard right now. That's why a lot of restaurants are only open two or three or four days a week that maybe could be, especially in the summer, could have been open five or six or seven and been, you know, pulling in more revenue. But in terms of newer concepts that are opening, they're very small. Uh, they're very scaled down, which is smart. People are not taking a lot of risks. And the people that are ambitious are not always necessarily um, executing at the level that you would expect for the level of ambition that they have. Um, we do, I was just looking at the restaurants that are coming in the next six months. And, you know, there's a, there's some big guns coming. Earl um, Minsum, uh, the the restaurateur behind um, Longbon and Padi and Hot Yai here in Portland, is opening uh, uh uh, he's moving Longbon, which is his tasting menu restaurant, to Northwest Portland. And in the front, there's going to be an all-day cafe, Phuket Cafe, which is going to serve, you know, noodle bowls, I don't know what else, uh, curries, things like that. And they're actually building like a fake Thai train car uh -huh. that they're going to park uh, in the parking spot out front that you can eat inside of. Um, you know, it'll have room for a dozen or two dozen people out there for outdoor dining, which is going to be super cool. Um, Rick Gencarelli from... Uh, Lardo is opening a Greek restaurant called Bluto's. Those are both opening really early in 2022. And then there's a few others, but later down the line, Gregory Gorday, a uh, friend of the pod, Greg Gorday is opening Khan. Uh, he says June, um, which would be cool. Um, and that's his wood-fired sort of global Haitian restaurant that he's been planning for six, seven years, maybe. So the point being there are some heavy hitters coming back to Portland next year. Right. And it does feel like a lot of places are kind of keeping their powder dry in 2021. So we'll see what 2022 brings. Right. And are you optimistic? I I'm optimistic. I mean, I'm, I'm close with Gregory and uh, we've talked about Khan and I, I, I'm really, really excited and I'll be there opening night. I'll probably be there before opening night. Yeah. And, um, well, yeah, we'll see about Phuket Cafe and Bluetos. Is that right, Bluetos? Bluetos, yeah. Yeah, Bluetos. Uh, it's named for the uh, Animal House character, right? John Belushi's character. Yeah. But I, I, even though I'm retired, I still, you know, want to go to um, LA and see what, what's going on with LA scene. I mean, it, they were very creative during. During the um, the the shutdown, the pandemic. I mean, Fennecat Cafe, L.A. Times Restaurant of the Year from Min Fan, who owns Porridge and Puffs, which still hasn't reopened since the pandemic began. But Fennecat Cafe, which is a uh, excuse me, not Fennecat, Fennecat was is a fine dining uh, restaurant, um, and I went. It's one of the hardest tickets in town right now, maybe in the country, and it was absolutely fantastic. And you know, Damian. From Enrique Elvera from Los Angeles, Michael went during the pandemic. Tremendous, tremendously good meal. Uh, I I ordered a bit wrong, but um, and I, as, yeah. I, I've had two meals there. First meal was great. Second meal recently, not as good. Um, Cabaco from a very famous uh, uh, Brazilian chef, Rodrigo Oliveira. Uh, again, a little hit and miss, but still, I mean, I, it's a Brazilian Brazilian food in Los Angeles. I think it's really cool, cool attempt. These are places that would never open in Portland. I mean, that right. to be fair, but the, there's also kind of a vibe. And, and I, as Gary said, I did go down. I ate at like 18 restaurants in four days. Not all of them were new. Uh, Damian was probably my favorite, but I think I, I, I really just enjoy, um, you know, obviously we've talked about my, our experience at Puyol being one of my favorite meals of all time, if not my favorite. I really love their sort of precise, uh, uh, surprising approach to Mexican food um, that's sort of divorced from European tradition in a lot of ways, um, which to me, that's pretty impressive. And my meal there was great until I got to this celery root steak that they served. There was like a 60, I'm, in my mind, it was yeah. like a 64 ounce porterhouse of a celery root steak, but it was uh, massive and it just crushed me. And then I went to two other restaurants after that. So. Well, yeah, including it, one with my friend at midnight. Uh, they believe that was the next night oh, and okay. I was dying, but that was, we went to a, all 24 hour uh short rib restaurant in koreatown that well it used uh, to be open 24 hours it's not open 24 hours uh, anymore. well they light your your short ribs on fire yeah. they put a bunch of cheese on top and then light it on fire that was super fun shout out to thomas um we uh, uh i also went to bavel that night uh, after damian that right. was how old is bavel that precedes the pandemic 
yeah, by I, a bit, yeah, a couple years. Baval's open like three years. Yeah, from, that was really good. From Ori and John, John Viev, uh, who also owned Bestia. I also went to Bestia that trip. Well, anyway, <laughs> but I did see like at a restaurant like Bestia. That place was absolutely packed. Oh, God, yeah. People are having fun. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, the the vibe was great. Okay, look, I go in there and you do feel a bit COVID conscious coming from Portland. You're like, what is going on here? Funnily enough, I was just down in L.A. about a month after a bunch of people in the restaurant industry had gone down. I'm not going to name names, but came back with COVID. So I felt like, what, am I doing something risky here? (laughs) Uh, You know, but uh, no, um, did not come back with COVID, thankfully, um, thanks to the vaccine, I guess. But you don't see that in Portland. You very rarely see that sort of like packed restaurant that feels like the before times. People are not ready for that here. Customers right. aren't ready. Employees are not ready. And I don't know what it'll take. I mean, the, the new uh, uh, Pfizer pill that they say is 90% effective against... Um, Delta. Uh, Delta? Right? Is that, is that 90%? Uh, they, they're promising about Omicron. But, oh. you know, if, if we have a pill that effectively eliminates the risk of death, uh, uh, I mean, that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's, game that's a game changer. And yeah. then you add that to people getting boosters now, uh, you know, if you haven't, you can go get it. Uh, there's clinics around town, um, that could change things, but I, I, it's not going to be till next summer. And then we'll just have to see what it looks like. What do you think? Have you been anywhere in Portland that feels like, uh, people are cutting loose a little bit? I don't really go. I mean, I do go out, but I don't. I don't go out. There's some bars. I mean, well, I, I go to Scotch Lodge. Scotch Lodge has set records, like recently, yeah. like seemingly every night. I love hanging out at Scotch Lodge, but yeah, I mean, it feels very normal there. Um, I go there quite a bit. Toki, Toki is just. I, I, surprisingly, I don't go as out there as much as you would think. I went to HK Cafe with Peter Cho from Toki and two of our friends and. You know, it seemed pretty much back to normal. It wasn't during a weekday, so it wasn't like 300 people waiting to get in. But I'm feeling on week weekends, it probably pretty much is back to normal at HK Cafe. I, I, I That was one of my last meals before the pandemic was oh. this big dim sum place uh, in Southeast Portland called HK Cafe. And I remember checking it out because I had heard rumors that Asian-owned businesses were seeing like a negative drop in business. Mm. But that day at least, which was like Sunday in early March, the place was as busy as always. And I remember I took my kids and there was a guy right at the front sitting by himself at like an eight person table. And he was just coughing like <clears throat> all over the dining room. And I was like, Oh, what are we doing? I think it's time to, it's time to shut it down. Everyone shut it down. <laughs> I mean, there were some good points to, at least for me, there were that the pandemic, not just traveling, during the pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic, will always be memorable to me. Uh, but just just life during that year, well, at least, you know, my life of 2020 when the pandemic started, it was, I enjoyed parts of it. Like, I started doing these, I, we call them burnt lawn dinner series. Uh, it would be like every week or every other week. Peter Cho and Sun Young Park from... Hanok and Toki would come by, Gregory Gourdet would come by, and we would just either they would bring food and they cook it on my lawn, or we'd order takeout. The kids, you know, son, son and Peter's kids, Elliot and Frankie would come over too and pepper the dog. And it was just, it, then we'd invite people. Ben Jacobson came over, uh, Carla LaMagna came over once, uh, Jin and Q from Jinju Patissier. So it was, it, it, this was like every week or every other week. It, and Jester Woodward came over with his girlfriend. It was, it was fun. Like I, I knew, I knew that, that when that ended, like I knew it would end. Like I knew that wouldn't happen in 2021 and it hasn't and it didn't, which is good because they're all working. Gregory's working on opening con at some point and Peter and son are at Toki and hopefully in the future, Han Oak. So, yeah, I, I love the Burnt Lawn Dinner Series. It was truly, I'll never, I'll never forget it. It's unforgettable. You know, oh, that's very nice. Yeah. The, 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 the toughest ticket in town last summer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's really interesting. And we were all sort of doing our, doing our best. And we were, we spent a lot of time grilling in my backyard. And, you know, it was kind of a similar vibe, just the family. But um, I like that the restaurant industry came to you. That's really nice. Well, I, 
I saw you did the the restaurant guide this year. I wasn't sure if you were going to do one, but you did one. And you actually had a top 10. like uh, Unranked, sorry. Unranked. I know you like a ranked list. I do like ranked lists. Uh, did I rank it for you in a text? No, maybe not. Sometimes I do that. Yeah, you me. actually did. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so how, how, how hard was it to, to find those 10? And what did you think? I mean, were there, were there any commonalities amongst 10? And what were your 10? Well, I'll just pause for a second and say, I did not do a list in 2020. It didn't make a lot of sense for me to do a best new restaurant list in 2020. There weren't a lot of restaurants to choose from. And the ones that had opened, you know, just weren't that exciting, unfortunately. Um, it seemed like everyone was just scrambling to survive. Um, and I also was starting to have some reservations about the entire idea of giving out these kinds of end of year prizes. It's something we do in journalism at the end of the year, we pick our 10 best, this 10 best, that, uh, but you know, you look at, I don't know, you look at what happened at Bon Appetit magazine where, you know, a bunch of staff members, including the editor in chief had to resign, uh, the editor in chief, a photo of him in, in, uh, dressed up in like Puerto Rican brown face was, came out, uh, was revived from his Instagram or his wife's Instagram. And he had to resign. And you look at like something kind of weird and a little bit icky about the way Bon Appetit in particular, but kind of all the glossy magazines like anoint kings and emperors of the restaurant world and then have all this apparatus to bring them to festivals or whatever it is and, and make them the cool kids. Like a lot of the chefs that they tapped for these awards have ended up being the chefs who've been called out for toxic culture. And I don't know why there seems to be such a overlap on the Venn diagram between the places Bon Appetit recognized and the places that had a toxic culture, but it just does seem, there does seems to be some parallels there and I'm not really smart enough to get above it and understand why that is, but you could see Bon Appetit completely rejiggered their hot 10 this year and they just recognized nonprofits. It looked like they were tapping maybe PR people from around the country or, or journalists. I'm not totally sure to like, what are the positive stories in your city? And I'll be honest with you. I don't think anybody even noticed Bon Appetit put out a restaurant list this year. Uh, so maybe it's not working so well, but that being said, I, I had my reservations about it, but all these new places had opened and there were places I hadn't found a way to write about yet. So it seemed like that would be a good way to write about 10 places that were doing exciting stuff. And in, on that list, there was, you know, a wide variety of places. There were places doing really exciting food. There were places where I just had a fun meal. You know, I could just go out and have a date or go out with friends and enjoy yourself. And that felt like something we'd been missing. And I, I feel like you could argue that it's irresponsible almost to recommend a place that's busy or, you know, even if they're taking all every COVID protocol as seriously as possible. Um, but at the end of the day, as I said earlier, you do, we do go out to eat partly to have fun. So if I went out and had a fun meal at a place like G love in the, in slab town, which I hadn't even been to before the pandemic or uh, Chicha, which was this uh, outdoor uh, proving street food concept from Andina, um, which they're currently working to winterize their patio. Um, you know, those places were big surprises for me. And even if the food was like only 60, 70% hits versus misses, <laughs> I was still like, this is really fun. You know, I'm having a good time here. And, and it's not like that hit rate was so much different from the best restaurants, you know? Uh, uh, uh so anyway, that, what was your, uh, I think I maybe just blathered on there. What was your, what was your question? So what were your 10? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I said, G love Chicha. Repu- I'm going to see if I can do them off the top of my head. Uh, Republica, which is a, uh, a Mexican restaurant with an inexpensive lunch and an inexpensive tasting menu at night, five courses for 65, which is like what? 1250 a course. Uh-huh. Tom, which is a new Vietnamese love restaurant Tom. with four dishes. My favorite new restaurant in Portland. Tom. Um, yeah, run by a couple of brothers. Um, the Lee brothers. We we went there together. You um, went, yeah, cool cool kids. Four uh, four four items. I think there there were four items on the menu. Only four items. Uh, Magna Cucina was our restaurant of the year, which I wasn't sure I was going to do a restaurant of the year, but um, a couple of meals there ended up being my favorite meals of the year. So in Portland, um, uh, am I going to have to look up the list here? What <laughs> what else is on there? Toki, 
uh, from your friends uh, Peter and Son. Okay. Uh, which I was a little unsure about including because when they opened, it was really just like the their Hanok, Hanok menu, you know, to go. But they've changed the menu enough, and you know, it's a big, big leap for them. Um, uh, oh, here was a surprise too. Miami Nice. Miami Nice oh, is yeah, actually. Yeah. A plant-based Cuban restaurant run out of the kitchen of a brewery that I love, uh, Culmination Brewery. I still haven't gone. I think I went there for a beer and I was like, oh, I've heard of these. They had opened a brick and mortar. It didn't last very long. They ended up back in their pop-up space at the brewery. And I had this Cubano sandwich. And I was like, this is a really good Cubano sandwich. And you don't you don't really miss the ham. They use like a harmless ham instead and some it's roasted vegan. jackfruit. Once again, vegan, right? And dude, they fry things really well. Like empanadas. You mentioned the empanadas. Empanadas to me. are great. Yeah. Uh, they they do a uh, papa rellena, which is a uh, like a deep fried mashed potato ball, and it's like totally delicious. Of course, that's vegan. Um, there's a little bit of like, um, um, I think uh, like some kind of spiced tofu in the middle. Uh, uh, soy picadillo, I think it is. Anyway, delicious. That was a big surprise. And the other three are going to come to me while we talk. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, a varied list that you created. You wanted me to pick Berlou on that list, but I told you they were on my list of new restaurants two years <laughs> yeah. ago. So we'll talk more about that next time you chat with us. Cause Gary and I are actually going to Berlou. Uh, Although we both been before. Yes. And I will tell you, I think it's the best restaurant in Portland right now. And we, our next podcast will be more about fine dining. And Michael came with me on a couple of trips in 2021, which was uh, fun. But um, my my point regarding Berlou was Vince Wynn pivoted multiple times in the pandemic. A bakery, noodles, night market. All the pivots, in my mind, were successful, especially the bakery. Well, I, lo- I love the soups, especially the non-vegan soups. Um, and I just thought in the tasting menu, once he reopened for the tasting menu in October, I just thought it was, we'll talk more in depth next podcast, but I just thought, you know, it's fantastic. I mean, Vince, you know, I, I'm the, I, I've been, I've been going to eat Vince food, Vince's food since the very, before any of you have even heard of Vince Wynn, I was there. I mean, Vince Wynn and Justin Woodward did a did a pop up like years ago, and I was there. And I I can finally say, after all these years, that he's got the best restaurant in Portland. So yeah, we'll talk about that soon. So before we go, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, sports uh, uh, and uh, pop TV. culture. Yeah, TV. Pop- uh, I will say it was actually a really big night for me last night. <laughs> uh, in a couple ways, I was. Uh, uh, eagerly anticipating Steph Curry breaking the all-time three-point record. Which he did in the first quarter. He did it really quickly. And, um, you know, Ray Allen was there. Reggie uh, Miller was there. Reggie Miller was calling the game, which is funny because I believe Steve Kerr was calling the game that Ray Allen passed Reggie. Uh, uh, No, I think... No, no, Reggie Miller was calling that Ray Allen game. Oh, he was maybe? I think he was calling that game. Hmm. Well, Steve Kerr was calling something. I forget what it was. I wasn't no yeah steve was reggie's uh sidekick on that call i think oh okay yeah, I believe. yeah, anyway. yeah okay. so anyway there's all these ties as you told me a couple years ago i was like yeah oh, steph's gonna be the all-time three-point record champion i wonder when he'll break it and you said oh, nobody cares about that record but i'm surprised as, as yeah, we got closer I, I, yeah. to it i don't think anybody cared until steph broke it really i mean maybe there was some excitement around ray breaking passing reggie i can't, probably no, nobody cared when reggie no. passed uh right Dale Ellis or whoever. Who, who did Reggie pass? Do you have any idea? Uh, maybe it was Dale Ellis. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Michael Larry Bird Adams. held the record for a while. He was a great shooter in his era. But I, I really, I mean, yeah, I think people will forget. Like it's, it. I mean, when he passes, well, he'll pass three, three, three thousand, very soon by January. Yeah, I think he'll pass. How long will it take him for him to pass? You don't think he'll pass five thousand, right? Well, we were talking about that. I mean, he would have to average. He set the all-time season record for most threes made at 402 during his unanimous MVP season. So he would have to, if he's, let's say he's at 3,000 right now. To get to 5,000, he would have to do the best he's ever done for five straight years without major injury. And, I mean, I think it's it's not, like, totally inconceivable, but he'd be 38 at the 40, end of 40,000 is, oh, excuse me, 4,000 is incredibly 4, do, do, is doable. Well, like, 
I wonder if 4,000 is going to be a bigger deal than him passing whatever he passed, 2,000. I can't even know. I don't even know the number he passed last night. People have compared it to, I know this sounds ridiculous, but to Babe Ruth's home run record. Because, no, but here's why. Because nobody really thought or cared about the home run until Babe Ruth was put up these insane numbers. And he was lapping people setting these records. And then they lasted for, you know, 30, 40 years. But here, here's the deal. The three-point shot's only been around i get i'm guessing 30 years 40 years 40 years 70s so f- almost 50 okay 50 50 years i mean it kind of didn't start in the aba weren't they doing in the aba i think it's more that people didn't realize the value of the three-pointer it took but, a while for people to realize the value of the three i mean it's to me it's kind of like this made-up thing three-point field goals i mean do you know who has the record for two-point field goals i don't i'm assuming maybe it's chamberlain maybe jabbar probably jabbar would it be uh, Jabbar because Jabbar has the most points of all time? Okay, like I, I don't even know. I'm guessing Jabbar because he didn't shoot three pointers. I mean, like you know, I can't. I don't know. I don't even know. Like, I, I just don't think it's a hu- huge deal. Yeah, I mean, I think you're too old school because I think Steph Curry revolutionized the way basketball is played. And yeah, now yes. the three point is like right. the most important shot in basketball. You are correct. So uh, going forward, just like Babe Ruth with the home run. It could be that we we look back on this as like a Ruthian accomplishment, uh, unless we somehow revert back to some t- type of mean where the three pointers become less impactful. Because well, I then, think then that record will seem even if he does oh, yeah. get to four thousand, right. it'll yeah. seem even more ridiculous. Oh I, yeah, yeah, he's he's. I wouldn't be surprised if they push the three point out line out a little bit. I yeah, mean, mo- most yeah. of even a guy like uh, Nemanja Bjelica, who's like a bench player for the Warriors. He take he takes his threes from five feet behind the line all the time. He seems more comfortable there. Like he yeah. just bombs away. Like where the three point line is now is ridiculous. And yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, that was very exciting for me. And then my phone pinged, and I realized I had bought tickets to see uh, one of my favorite singers right now, Caroline Polachek. And I went to. Uh, <laughs> it was like, hey, if you drive now, you'll make it to the show on time. So where actually, like, was she? Where was she? She was at the Wonder Ballroom. She packed it in. Isn't she always here? I mean, isn't that? Didn't you see her earlier this year? I saw her when I was in L.A. Oh, okay. That's why I went to L.A. Not to right. eat Damian. Sorry to. Uh, and she's open for Dua Lipa. You said she'll be back in March, but this was her first solo show in Portland. Um, and yeah, she 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 was awesome. I, I'm joking with my friends. I call her the uh, Goth Celine Dion because oh. she has this like beautiful voice, but she also all of her decor is like cemetery like uh arkham asylum gates and like you know it's uh, uh we'll see i feel like i'll be paying 300 dollars to see her in las vegas in 20 years from now or something oh really okay yeah but she rules uh she blew it up that was great so it's been quite a little ride for me yesterday um what else is happening in uh sports or tv you know what i i great I got, transition i got there. turned Classic on transition. to this to oh first of all i because i'm retired now like all i do is watch tv watch sports uh get on demand movies i just rented venom but there'd be carnage oh, i yeah. actually like that i know i mean i thought it's pretty funny i mean so but i i love yellowstone that's the one show that i always look forward to every sunday night that it's on on paramount but yeah i love you i love beth mary riley who plays beth i love beth i want to marry beth i love beth <laughs> my favorite character on tv Barnard. She's a real spark plug. You got yeah. me into the show. I watched the first six episodes. Of I got Pete and Sonny into the show. We'll see. I mean, like, I, I, I just, I just, unfortunately, I think, I'm assuming there'll only be 10 episodes in season four, which they've been only 10 episodes in three, and three, two, and one. So we'll see. I mean, we're coming close to the end if it is only going to be 10 episodes. It, it, it almost was like an old fashioned show. Like, yeah. you've got these, like, four kind of like hot brothers or like three or whatever, how many? <laughs> Four in the beginning, <laughs> and, uh, or whatever, and then uh, 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 or three, I can't remember. And then Beth, but it, it almost feels like I, I didn't watch like Dallas or General Hospital, not General Hospital. What was the what was the hospital show that was really popular in the eighties? In the eighties, like I, I watched oh, a lot of TV back Sorry. in those days. I don't know. Well, let's Marcus uh, Welby. Well, that was seventies. Compa- How does this compare to a show like Dallas? Oh, I know, St. Elsewhere. St. Elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How does this compare to a show like Dallas? That seems very soap opera-ish, where th- this seems... I don't I don't think of this as a soap opera-type show. Like because a, there's hyper-violence occasionally? Or what makes it not a soap opera? 
Yeah, maybe there's hyper violence. Maybe because it just seems Filmed more outdoors. realistic to me because yeah. it's about cowboys. I mean, it's yeah. really a modern day cowboy show. Like I, I, I know everyone loves Succession. I get that. I, I still haven't seen one episode of Succession. You love it. Love it. My friend, my friend Karen Brooks loves it. A lot of people love Succession. Everyone loves Succession. How well it's written. But I just, I haven't seen one episode. I need to watch at least one episode and see if I can get into it. But I don't know. It just doesn't seem as kind of quote. It doesn't seem as realistic, or as it does. It, it doesn't seem. It seems more highfalutin than something like well, the, uh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone's like Succession on horseback. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have uh, an older figure who maybe has health issues, who uh, you know, and then the children are fighting to take over the yeah, empire. I, like yeah. that's that's exactly what Succession. It's, is. They're both family dramas. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's King Lear. Right, both? Okay. Well, I mean, I think Succession is more like obviously King Lear and more like theatrical and Shakespearean in its aims than Yellowstone. Like Yellowstone does want to be, you said it's not a soap opera, but it has, you know, those kind of. Except it's really violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and really beautifully shot too. It was shot in Utah, I was reading yesterday. Oh, okay. Until season four. They moved it to Montana. Um, do, How far in are, are Six you? Six episodes only. Okay. And there are. How many? Four seasons? The f- uh, yeah, we're not quite How done. How can with people the watch season. it? Because I've been watching it on the Peacock service. Okay, there's also Paramount Plus. You can also watch it on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Um, I also saw this movie recently. That's kind of re- because we talk about restaurants and food all the time. It's actually a, a restaurant movie called Boiling Point with Stephen Graham, and it's a night at a posh, trendy London restaurant. A lot of crap happens in this one night. But it seemed very realistic to me. It was really uh, kinetic, kinetic movie, chaotic. But I, I, I rented it on on demand recently for seven dollars and ninety nine cents. It's called Boiling Point with Stephen Graham. Um, Cheaper than a muffaletta. That's true. Yeah, seven ninety nine. That's what I've been doing when I in my retirement. Okay, we gotta circle back to this. You've mentioned it four times now. What does it mean that you're retired? Because, you know, when people say they're retired, it's they're, they, they, they're, they're done with their job. They're hanging up the hat. They're quitting. And then they're going to, I don't know, you That's know well, yeah. sit around and go to the old folks home or play golf yeah. or whatever. I'm okay. So kind of, well, what does it mean yeah, for yeah. you to be retired? Because although you were Gary the foodie and that's your identity, it wasn't like you were, you know, clocking in and clocking out of a job it and felt you still have like- to eat. Food. So, what is it? What does it mean? Well, to I, be I, I, I'm eating like you know, I'm eating Panda Express and you know, Cheesecake Factory and Domino's and. But it it, it is though. If you know, toward the end, it it felt you could that be the way. latest fast food critic. I could be like the next Bill Oakley. Bill Oakley, yeah, local. Yeah, guy. but he Bill's Bill, Bill's got that covered. But it it did feel like a job. I wasn't happy. Oh. I, I, I I miss traveling internationally. I miss going to the best restaurants in the world, which I just wasn't willing to yeah, as as risk as risky as I was willing to be last summer. I just wasn't willing to travel overseas this year when I could have. I I miss I'm I'm I miss eating at the greatest restaurants in the world. Like Michael, we'll talk more about this in the next podcast. So Michael, and I went to Manresa. He joined me and I said to Michael during dinner, I said, this is how I ate every night for, you know, for many, many years. And that's crazy. It was, you know, I, 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 I miss that. Um, I'm just going to the other extreme. Like, have four nights of Kentucky fried chicken or, you know, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just different. I mean, I'm. I don't know if I'm happier. I'm still adjusting. It seems stupid. Like you know that that was my identity before, but it's it's relevant because and it, because it means something to me. But I I don't know. I mean, this is like an evolving process. I don't know what retirement means. I may have to unretire in a matter of days if this because I need to publicize this, this podcast because otherwise no one's going to know that we recorded a podcast. Is this the first time you've retired? Yeah, it felt it felt like it felt real this time because I was thanking the people that and the meals that meant a lot to me. Like you know, the greatest meal I've ever had in my life. I guess we can talk. No, let's talk. Let's save that next next time. I'll talk about my favorite Ooh, meal geez. ever, and I thank this chef, um, who who has been very kind to me over the years. I thanked him like you know 
right the day before I disabled my Instagram account, which I may have to re-enable in the next year or two because of this podcast and having to publicize it. Jerry over the Panda Express. Uh, <laughs> tune in next week. Gary's got some love. God, I love Panda way. Express. Orange chicken, teriyaki chicken, mushroom chicken. Those are the three things I get. Plus, you can get super greens, which is like um, steamed vegetables, which is my health part of it when I order it. Oh, that's yeah, so good. I'm God, so glad you're being healthy. God. It's, it's grilled <laughs> teriyaki chicken. There's some celery under your orange chicken? Yeah. No, you're just getting grilled teriyaki chicken. You're not. No, no, I get orange chicken. That's my that's my uh, guilty pleasure. That mm. orange chicken is so good. So, uh, two other quick uh, TV things I'm watching. I'm I'm up on Hawkeye. Um, oh, I love Hawkeye. Show, yeah. Haley Stanfell. Kate Bishop. She's great. Yeah. Um, enjoying that. Um, probably my second favorite Marvel show after uh, Loki so far. And then uh, I'm also watching this. Uh, Wheel of Time, which is uh, oh, yeah. Amazon Prime fantasy show. Apparently, Jeff Bezos said he wanted the next Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, so he's paying $10 million an episode, and he greenlit two full seasons right off the bat. And uh, instead of Lord of the Rings, to me, it seems like he got um, the next Xena. <laughs> hey, man, I love Xena. I oh, yeah. It's not, as, not what, quite what? as good as Xena. Well, Lucy Lawless, Zena, has a has a TV show called My Life is Murder on Acorn TV, which I actually watched <laughs> some season deep cuts. two, episode eight today. These are some deep cut streaming services. Acorn TV? Acorn TV. Paramount Plus. P- yeah. Peacock. I mentioned that one. But I, uh, IMDb, you... IMDb TV has uh, the, the uh, renew, uh, uh, they brought back Leverage, which was, used to be, with, it was filmed in Portland with Timothy Hutton. And I don't know all the other actors and actresses, but Timothy Hutton starred in the original um, Leverage, which was filmed in Portland, Oregon. It left TV maybe five or six years ago, but IMDb TV brought it back. And it's called Leverage Redemption. But <laughs> Timothy Hutton's out and Noah Wiley's in. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Is that an upgrade? or I don't know. I kind of miss Tim Hutton. So, and Noah Wiley was in The Librarians, which was, I think, also filmed in Portland, Oregon. Oh my God! Does he live here now? No, I don't think so. Not anymore. But I, I leverage got, I think, a renewal for season two. I was watching this Wheel of Time, and Selena comes down, sits down next to me on the couch, and she goes, "What is this?" And then two minutes later, she got up and left. So, <laughs> anyway, will you, you won't. Will you not watch it anymore? Oh no, I'm kind of all in. I, I like fantasy. I, I love Lord of the Rings. I own all the extended directors is it bad like i I, I, can't, I haven't gotten through episode one of wheel of time like i don't think it's it's bad it's i don't know i'm I mean, enjoying watching bezos burn his money and uh you know they, they built an entire movie studio outside of prague uh so i mean he may have spent like a quarter billion dollars just to make this show that's nothing for him though that's no. like one day it's very enjoyable but leverage leverage isn't great but i love leverage like i can i can i get into bad tv saved by the bell uh reboot well, you're watching Season two. Actually, Saved by the Bell reboot is actually really good. It, uh, what's the most obscure streaming service you are a subscriber to? Acorn's pretty... Yeah, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, Acorn's pretty... I mean, I watch IMDb TV, and I watch, like, everything. Kubi, I mean... Fubo? Fubo. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think Acorn TV is probably the most obscure, because it's, like, mysteries. Agatha Raisin has her Christmas special coming on Acorn TV very soon. <laughs> deep cuts man <laughs> all right well this is fun thanks for coming over it's great to see you great to be podding again i hope everyone enjoyed this we got at least one more fine dining we're talking about fine dining in our favorite meals of the year yeah we don't want to promise anything but probably before 21 months have passed by we'll see okay hope so all right guys talk to you again soon thank you Bye.